Good morning. My name's Jamie. I'm one of the elders here at Stonebridge, and I really wanted to just say welcome to all of you joining us for worship. It's great that you're here. Really wanted to spa uh, pass along a special welcome if you're new, if you're maybe just passing through on vacation and you stopped in to join us. We really appreciate you being here. Or maybe you're here because you um, are new and wanting to know a little bit more about who this Jesus is, um, or maybe what this Christianity thing is. And I just want you to know that this is a really safe and good place to ask those questions and to just uh, kind of find some things out about, um, about Jesus. And so we're really glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Also, if you're new, we would love to connect with you in kind of a low-key way. And uh, one of the ways that we can do that is if you text the word welcome to the number that you see on the screen there behind me, we'll ask for a little information, and then we'll reach out to you and let you know a little bit about our ministries that are going on here, the things that we do here at Stonebridge Church in terms of reaching our community and just connecting as a family. We'd love to get you that information. If you're old school, you can look to the seat back in front of you, and there's a card there, a welcome card, and the same thing. Give us some of your information, and we'll reach out to you. If you turn the card over, uh, you'll see that there's a place for prayer, and I want you to know that we count it a very special privilege to pray for those prayer requests on a weekly basis, and that there are several groups throughout the week that do that. And so please uh, share your prayer requests with us and, and share your praises as well. If God has answered a prayer and you are rejoicing, we'd love to rejoice along with you. So please do that. That's a special privilege. Today is a really special day at Stonebridge. And I know many of you are aware of that, but if you're newer, um, maybe you don't know that we've been going through a transition period. And um, that transition period kind of has a, uh, this, is a, this is a day where we mark that in that um, Brandon Levering is being installed as our new lead pastor today. So towards the end of our service, we will have a special time where we will uh, do a formal installation, and he officially becomes our next lead pastor. And it's a really uh, unique and special time because um, we don't do this very often around Stonebridge Church. And I'm just going to ask this question. I asked the folks at first service, does anybody know how many years ago it was that the last time that we installed a lead pastor at Stonebridge or at, at this church? Does anybody know? I, I heard a bunch of voices, but if you said 27 years ago, you're right. I, I don't have a prize for you, but congratulations. That's great. Bottom line is, 27 years ago, we called Randy Shile to be our lead pastor. Yeah. And Randy is retiring this summer, and we are installing Brandon today. And it's just a big day, and it's, an it's a very exciting day. Here's the thing. Randy is retiring, but he's not retiring today, so you don't have to uh, rush to, you know, make sure that you say goodbye to Randy. He's going to be here all summer long, and if you've been around, you've known that we are in a transition where this lead pastor is, a, is uh, an overlap transition. So Brandon and Randy are doing ministry together this summer, and will continue to do that really through, through August. And, uh, and then, mark your calendars for this, on August 18th, that's a Sunday, that will be the last Sunday that Randy will uh, 
deliver the message in his official capacity, I guess. And uh, so you want to make sure that you're here for that as well. And that, that might be the time you want to say, you know, thank you to Randy. Say thank you to Randy always. But, I mean, that, that's going to be his last, his last Sunday. But today is a day to be thankful and to celebrate God's faithfulness and his goodness. He has been a part of our search process uh, for the last couple years and just helped us and guided us, and it's been awesome. And today we get to celebrate that as we install Brandon, and, um, and we're going to celebrate it as a church family after this, after this service. So we are having a church picnic, and hopefully you're aware of that, but if not, that's okay. If you don't have anything to do, just head down the hallway to the bridge, and um, we're going to celebrate as a church family with a picnic. So we hope you will join us. If you would now, um, join me as we pray to our God and just thank him and, um, and go to him in prayer. Father, we're so thankful that uh, you have been gracious, Lord, that you have been good as we have been in this period of transition, Lord. You have guided us and directed us. You've given us wisdom and instruction, Lord. You have kept us together. You have allowed us to... Uh, make decisions, Lord, and we are so thankful, and we're humbled by that. And God, we think of your attributes. We think of the fact that you are sovereign over all things, Lord. You're in control. And there are some of us this week, Lord, that are dealing with all kinds of hard things in our life, whether it's health or relationships, work-related brokenness, Lord. Um, but it is good to know that you are in control, Lord, even though we may feel like these things in our lives, these circumstances seem to be outside of your control, they're not. And we can take confidence and comfort in knowing that, Lord, you are a good God, that you are filled with grace, that you are in control, and your will will, your will, will be done. Lord, we pray today for Brandon as he delivers the message to us. We pray that you work in him and through him, Lord with your word. We pray for us, Lord, that as we sit under this teaching, that we would have ears to hear, that you would open our minds so that we could understand, Lord, your word and what you would have for us, and that our hearts would be open so that they would be open to the change that you want to have happen today in us. God, as the offering goes around today, Lord, I pray that we would look at it a little differently, that um, as we pass the offering plate, Lord, we would imagine what it is that you are going to do with the resources that we give, Lord. We know that we have been learning that you do much with little. You took a couple fish and some loaves of bread, and you multiplied them, and there was excess. And Lord, we would just imagine and pray that you would do the same with what we give, Lord, and that it would impact this church, our community, Lord, the world, and ultimately bring glory to you. And God, finally, we're so thankful that you let us come to this place. You let us come to you just as we are, Lord. But we also pray that you not let us leave as we came. And we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. We are... Um, 
excited and thankful for how God has been at work uh, at, in Stonebridge and in us to bring us to this point of, of partnership. It is a privilege to be able to serve with such godly leaders and shepherds, and it's a privilege to be partnered in the gospel with all of you as we help each person we meet take their next step with Jesus. So we're thrilled. Um, but just who is this Jesus that we are talking about? How do we define Him? And why would we want to take a next step with Him? Does He even care how we live? Before we get to the installation part of our service this morning, we want to stop and take some time to look at God's Word like we do every Sunday, to open His Word together to see what He has to say to us, and we're going to do that today by continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark on defining Jesus. And we only have time to look at part of our text this morning, so if you have a Bible in your hand or on your phone, or if you'd like to use the one under the seat in front of you, uh, please find your way to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. And when you get there, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, 
sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Does Jesus care how we live? Does Jesus care how we live? That's the question we're asking this morning. And for a lot of people today, the obvious answer to that is no. No, Jesus is there for us when we need Him, but other than that, He just wants us to be happy. Uh, For instance, on a recent episode of The Bachelorette, which I've never actually watched, I've read about this one, uh, the current Bachelorette has apparently been fairly vocal about her Christian faith, but also insisted that there was nothing wrong with her sleeping with contestants. I can do whatever, she says. I sin daily, and Jesus still loves me. It's all washed, and if the Lord doesn't judge me and it's all forgiven, then no other man or woman can judge me. In other words, Jesus doesn't care how we live because He simply forgives anything goes. Anything except being judgmental. That's the one thing you can't do. But of course, that mindset of kind of, you know, anything goes, is often a reaction to more fundamentalist expressions of the faith, where not only does Jesus care how you live, but how you live determines whether or not He will even accept you, and whether or not we will accept you. And the way we measure that is with a whole list of rules and hoops for you to jump through, rules that often go beyond Scripture and ultimately trap people in a cycle of guilt and fear and shame and insecurity or pride and envy and self-righteousness. So what does Jesus think about how we should live? Well, what we find in our passage this morning is that neither of those two views, what we might call license on the one side kind of anything goes, or legalism on the other side, a a rules-driven performance, neither of those views, those perspectives, line up with Jesus' view on how to live. To put it bluntly, Jesus hates both legalism and license, both of them, because neither of them, neither of them accord with His vision for life because neither of them flow out of the truth and grace of the gospel. They're both superficial and man-centered, whereas true holiness, true obedience, the kind of life that Jesus invites us into and calls us to, is anchored in grace, empowered by His Spirit, and flows from the heart. That's what we're going to see. And the story starts in chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, where Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of legalism, the hypocrisy of legalism. Throughout His ministry, the scribes and the Pharisees who who saw themselves as the gatekeepers and guardians of God's law, they've been trailing Jesus, trying to put Him to the test, expose Him as a fraud. In, in our story here, they've tracked him all the way from Jerusalem, and the subject they've chosen for this particular exam is ritual purity. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And so they ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tr- tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled 
hands. Now, uh, we often ask our kids to wash their hands before they eat a meal, especially if they're dirty or they've been playing outside. It's, just, it's kind of a good hygienic thing to do, right? That's not what the Pharisees are concerned about here. They're not worried about germs. They are talking about what's called ritual purity, a ceremonial cleansing that makes one fit for God's presence. That's the kind of cleansing that you read about in the Old Testament in chapters like Exodus 30 or Leviticus 22. But they're not even asking Jesus, why don't your disciples obey Exodus 30 and so on? In fact, those Old Testament laws were specifically for priests who were serving in the temple. They don't apply to anyone else, and they don't have anything to do with regular mealtime. Uh, what the Pharisees wanted to know is, why don't your disciples observe our official interpretation and application of those passages, what they called the tradition of the elders? For the Pharisees, it wasn't enough just to have the law. You needed to have an expert opinion that told you what the law means and exactly how to obey it. And they just happened to have an expert opinion available to everybody, one that they had handed down, this tradition of the elders, an oral law passed down that they believed held the key for unlocking the written law so that we might know what it means and how to keep it, and therefore how to be accepted by God. And anyone who rejected or ignored their particular key would find themselves shut out from God and His people. That's what they thought. Their system was nothing short of what we call legalism. They were attempting to gain God's approval and withhold that approval from others on the basis of their performance for God. That's what legalism is. And they measured that performance not with God's Word, but with their own interpretation and application of that Word, their own traditions, so traditions like taking those ritual purity standards from the temple and the priests and applying them to other aspects of life, the washing of hands or cups or pots and so on in verse 4, and then judging other Jews who don't keep their particular interpretation. And so they've cornered Jesus. They want to know why your disciples don't keep this tradition. But Jesus's response cuts straight to the heart of the issue, to the hypocrisy of legalism. Look at what he says in verse 6. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. There's a strong start. As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. According to Isaiah, the problem with legalism is that it is superficial and man-centered and therefore worthless to God. Superficial, man-centered, and worthless. First, it's superficial. It, it fosters an obedience that is only surface deep. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts, what's going on inside, are far from me. They're going through the motions, they're keeping the rules, but it's not about honoring God, it's about manipulating God in order to gain His approval and get what we want. 
putting on a good show so that they'll receive His approval, which, which means it's not real obedience. It's play-acting. It's pretend. That's what they're doing. That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. It's superficial. And that's because, second, it's man-centered. It comes from what people teach and what people can do rather than what God has said and done. Jesus says in verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. They have taken man's ideas, man's words, and they've elevated them and put them on the same level as God's Word. And in case they're not convinced that they actually do this, Jesus gives them an example in verses 9 to 13. So, whereas God's Word, what's actually written in the law, says to honor your father and your mother, fifth commandment, which includes caring for them in their old age, the Pharisees had come up with a system to keep money flowing into the temple by simply giving people an out on that obligation to care for their parents uh, down the road. If you, you know, just say that it's donated to God or designated to God, it's fine. It'd be like trying to convince people to donate to a church building project uh, instead of helping their parents with food and, and necessary medicine, and then thinking God is somehow honored by that donation. It's man-centered and superficial. And the result of all of this is that their worship is worthless. In vain do they worship me. Their words, their actions, their obedience, it's all empty. It's empty. It does nothing to bring them closer to God, and it does nothing to honor God. And that's because their legalism has made God's Word empty. If you look at verse 13, you have made void the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. By adding to God's Word, legalism actually voids God's Word. It empties it of its saving and sanctifying power because it's replaced that saving Word with something else, something that doesn't tie us to Jesus. And it's easy to dogpile on the Pharisees for their legalism, right? They're an easy target, or to hate on uh, fundamentalist culture today. The uncomfortable part is how easy it is for us to subtly slip into a very similar kind of legalism. I mean, nobody kind of starts out saying, I'm going to be a legalist. You know, nobody, nobody owns that title for themselves, but it's easy to slip into it, and we often do so because we care about some part of God's Word, but we slowly forget that our acceptance before God's not based on performance, but on His grace. And, and so we we have His Word, and we care about it, and we get anxious about, am I keeping it well enough? Or we get frustrated when others don't care about the parts that we care deeply about. And so, in order to alleviate that anxiety, that insecurity, we just spell out, here's exactly what it means to keep this here. Uh, sometimes that looks like building fences around God's commands, around biblical commands. And so, if God, God's command says, don't get drunk, and I don't even want to get close to that, so I build a fence over here that says, don't drink any al alcohol at all. Now, now, there are some people who, for good reason, completely avoid alcohol. 
But that's our tradition. That's not what God's Word says. We, we put that fence here so we don't even get close to that one. But what happens is over time, if we're not careful, this fence slowly replaces what God's Word actually says. It becomes this new standard by which we measure our spirituality and your spirituality. We, we build this fence. Other times, legalism can look like reducing a biblical principle to a single practice. So, again, for instance, if you care about honoring marriage and guarding sexual purity, biblical principle, well, then you must be committed to a very specific form of courtship or dating, single practice. Or you don't really care about those things if you don't do it this way. Or if you care about the marginalized and the oppressed, that's a biblical principle, then you must support this particular political policy or you hate orphans. Single practice. Or if you care about spending time with God and His Word, that's a biblical principle, then your quiet time needs to be at least 15 minutes every day or you hate Jesus. You know, single practice. Sounds spiritual. It's legalism. It's legalism. It's man-centered. It's superficial. It's no different than what the Pharisees did with their tradition of the elders. Here's the law, but then here's our official interpretation and application of that law, and that's what we're going to measure you by. It's adding to the Word of God. And the way we put it in our core values, it's, it's replacing God's eternal truth with empty talk. That's what legalism does. And Jesus has nothing good to say about that. He hates legalism. It is an insult to him, and it's enslaving and deadly for us. He loves us too much to leave us there. And so, so does that mean that Jesus then doesn't care how we live, as long as we're not living legalistically? Does that mean anything goes? Well, in the second part of our passage, Jesus turns to discuss the real origin of defilement and, and therefore the nature of true obedience from the heart. And that discussion leaves no room for license either. So if we look at verse 14. He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him, which is a really interesting picture, and the disciples are a little confused by it. So when they get him alone later, they ask him to explain it, and he tells them he's talking about the heart. What you eat, whether you wash your hands, has nothing to do with it. It's not about the rules you keep, but what's going on inside. As he explains in verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, and so on. So according to Jesus, the opposite of legalism is not license. The opposite is true obedience from the heart. That's what he's calling us to. And one of the biggest mistakes that we can make when we hate on legalism, as we should, one of the biggest mistakes we can make is thinking that legalism and obedience are the same thing. That when God speaks against this, therefore he doesn't care about that. 
And that is just not the case. Jesus upholds the call to holiness, obedience. He called out the Pharisees for breaking the fifth command. Now he mentions numbers 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 when he's talking about license. Uh, And he he describes certain behaviors as evil. Jesus cares how we live. Obedience to God's Word matters. But it's not the basis of our acceptance. It's the fruit of our acceptance through Jesus. So it matters not because that's how God approves of us, but because that's how those who are approved uh, by God through Jesus Christ are called to live. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, that Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus cares how we live, and true obedience is anchored in grace, empowered by the Spirit, and flows from the heart. That's what we see here that first it's, it's anchored in grace. It's not a performance to win God's approval. It's anchored in the fact that we've been given something wonderful even though we deserve something terrible. Left to ourselves, none of us are fit to enter God's presence. We deserve His judgment for our sin, and no amount of hand-washing or rule-keeping will ever change that. But Jesus is our great high priest who gave his life in our place, who, as Hebrews 10, 14 puts it, by a single offering of himself, a single offering perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus has done all that's necessary to deal with our sin, to cleanse us, and to bring us to God. And so, through faith in him, Hebrews 10 continues, we are invited to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is true ritual purity, not what we do for God to make ourselves presentable, what Christ has done for us once and for all. So true obedience is anchored in that grace And then second, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. God Himself supplies the strength to obey His Word. Again, Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 2. He says, it is God who works in you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. God's the one who gives us the desire and the ability to even follow Him in the first place. The the obedience that He loves is not what I can try and muster up uh, on my own, out of my own strength, uh, which will only ever lead me to either pride or despair. If if it's based on my own strength, I'm either going to get proud because, wow, look what I did for Jesus, or I'm going to despair because I failed again and again and again. The obedience He loves and calls us to is what comes from His own strength that He supplies by His Spirit. And therefore, third, true obedience is what flows from the heart, from within, specifically a heart changed by the gospel of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus is not asking any of us to put on a show for Him. He's not asking you to go through the motions, to fake it until you make it, or anything like that. 
He's asking us on the basis of His grace, on the strength of His Spirit, to love Him from the heart. A heart that knows we're not perfect and that we're never going to obey perfectly this side of heaven, but a heart that longs to grow in obedience to Jesus, to become more and more like Him, to savor and celebrate Him, to love others the way that He's loved us. A heart that is increasingly convinced with every fresh taste of grace that there is no more God-honoring, neighbor-loving, or personally satisfying way to live than following Jesus. Because He loves us, Jesus cares how we live. And His vision is offensive both to legalists and to the licentious. But to the broken, to the poor in spirit, to the sin-sick, the downcast, those with no hope in the world, to those who know that because of what's in their heart and what their hands have done and what their mouths have said, they have no business being in the presence of a holy God, to those whose only prayer before a holy God is, have mercy on me, a sinner, to sinners like you and me, there is no better news than the good news of Jesus. A grace that saves us just as we are and a grace that changes us to become more and more like Him. And it's a grace I pray will increasingly mark all that we are in everything we do as a church. As Paul summarizes in Titus 2, 11 to 14, and we'll close on this, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That's His vision. That's His invitation. That's what His grace accomplishes in the life of His church. And that's my prayer for us as we trust Him and move forward together to see every person we meet take their next step with Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that your grace does not cancel out your calling, your vision for who we are to bear your image. It doesn't change your plan. It is the means through which you accomplish your plan. And Lord, we do pray that we would become more and more like you in our practice and in our, the way we love, the way we speak, the way we care for one another that people would smell the aroma of Christ among us. And we pray that that would point us to you ever increasingly, that you would be honored, that people would be loved, that Christ would be treasured in our hearts, that we would be satisfied in him. We thank you that Christ is sufficient, that you are 
everything. May we take hold of that by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Calvin Swan. I'm the superintendent of the Central District, of which you are a part. And it's a delight to be here because uh, I've just enjoyed over the years, many times to be with you as a congregation and many times to be within your building as a pastor or as a superintendent because you're a hospitable group of people. Not only do you invite your community in on Sundays and open your hearts to them, but you as a, have had a tradition of being uh, open and welcome to us as pastors that have served in the Central District, and you have thus, in many ways, strengthened our association of churches over the years. Uh, on a personal note, I, when I first became a pastor here in the state of Iowa in 1985, the, uh, other than my own church that I served in Muscatine, the very first church I came to, came into, was your church at your previous location, previous pastor, with Bruce Ducca. And then that relationship and warmth has continued with Randy uh, over the years as we've had contact, and now with Brandon as he uh, will be installed officially today. Uh, a word of, uh, uh, again, of, uh, uh, from our central district, uh, you uh, and you're part of that. We, uh, when we started, and I started on the church planning board about 1990, we had less than 50 churches. But because we as a denomination and you as a local church have said, we are going to be faithful to the word of God. That is the, the heart and parcel of a group of people that come together and we are going to be true to it. We're going to preach it. We're going to see how, how, how God gives us the grace to live it. Uh, we have grown from less than 50 churches to including plants, over 150 right now. And that's because at times I'll point to you as a congregation where God is doing healthy and transformational work. One of the, the changes that has happened, we've brought on a man by the name of Brad Wass who is working in the area of multicultural, multi-ethnic. And just in this last uh, two years that he's been on the job, he now has over 25 different points of ethnic churches that are just opening up to us in marvelous ways that, uh, that, uh, that have the potential to become member churches of our district. I had no idea how many Burmese groups of people were in our uh, area of Iowa, but there are enclaves of Burmese and he's making uh, tremendous connections. But, you're part of that, and I thank you for that. But we're here for the installation, and we are a, what we would call a congregational form of government. That's our polity. Uh, we are not in a denomination where I just tell you who's your next pastor. Uh, and there's been some sorry examples where churches have had pastors put upon them in some mainline congregations that do not preach what you want as a congregation. But the superintendent would have the power. You've not given me that power. Maybe for a good reason. I think I would, I think I'd be very careful with that power, but not everybody does. They do it for sociological reasons. 
But you as a congregation have a search committee. You prayed. You, you thought through this because you wanted to stay true to the word of God. You have leaders that thought very carefully about this. And as God has directed you under the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's his church, there has been a spiritual process in which Brandon Levering is your next pastor. So you prayed about this, and we'll be laying hands on Brandon a little later. But you've made that statement that you believe this man is qualified. But because you have called him, he also has made a decision. And his decision is that he's here today to accept that calling in a, what we would call a, a formal way. Uh, and so I'm going to give Brandon this charge. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, with a couple of very brief expectations. But Paul, in talking to Timothy, in a sense charging him in the congregation he would serve, makes this statement before he ever uses that word charge. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, in, in a sense, what he's saying, this church, no matter what kind of polity you're under, is under Jesus Christ. You may be able to have congregational votes, but you come to them based ultimately, what is Jesus saying? How is he guiding? What is he doing? But he says, this is, in fact, there's no one more concerned today what's going on than Jesus Christ. He's present. This is his church. So in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, he says, I give you this charge. You know, deep in the heart of that word charge, it's a military command, and it's one where, from the heart, you obey. You obey. It's a charge. You don't tell your commanding officer, let me think about it, or I've worked out a better plan that's less risky. Uh, so this is what he says. Preach the word. In other words, if I could put a title on this, be a man of the word. Preach the word. There's, when everything else is said and done in your ministry, it comes down to the Bible is the word of God, and you are going to bring what God's message is. Sometimes I talk about an ordained pastor. The heart of the word ordination is really an orderly. An orderly is someone who, who carries out in military terms his commander's wishes. You're an orderly of God's word. You have to be faithful to take God's word and tell it to others, the Christian army. Be a man of the word. And there is the text that he, he says, he says not everybody's going to want to hear everything that you want to say if it's from God's word. There will be times when people may, even in the lobby, just tug on your shirt sleeve and say, Pastor, I think you could tone that down. Or, you know, maybe you can soften this a little bit. Uh, maybe uh, this isn't going to make people feel like they should come here. I mean, get with the times, Pastor. Uh, but we're a man of God's eternal and everlasting time. Be a man of the word. Secondly, be a man of the people. That is, discharge all the duties of your position. Sometimes we as pastors would really, really like to be able to just preach. I would have to confess that, but six days shall you labor and only one day show yourself in public. <laughs> but you have a, this is a congregation. You're also called to be a shepherd. There are discharge all the duties of your, of the, all, all the duties of your position. There's times you're called upon to be one-on-one -on -one with people, to be 
uh, a listening ear. There's times to be a leader. There's times to be uh, an encourager. There's, to, there's so many different things. You were affirmed. There's no doubt about that. The search committee did the right thing to say, how does he preach? That's important. But that's not all. That was not the only thing they were looking for. They're looking for a man of God who can be God's man, whatever situation God puts you in. And then last, be a man with a goal in line, meaning to get to the finish line. Being a man who can finish the race. And that's how Paul ends the passage. He says, I fought the good fight, I've run the race, and there's now laid up a crown of righteousness for me. You, it don't, it's not just jumping out of the starting gate full blast. There's, there's a long race, and you are going to be committed to it. And why does he say, uh, you know, run the whole race, get to the finish line? And he, and he really puts it all in perspective. He says, someday there's going to be a return of Christ. There's a crown of righteousness. Now, Paul, in talking about things of the future, I believe is quite clear to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he also says there's something about a crown of righteousness when Christ returns, and he calls it a glorious return. That's right what the text says, the glorious return. There's a crown of righteousness. And you're leading people so they can live lives of faith and obedience and love for Christ. So they'll, they'll, they'll also be able to look forward to that special crowning. But Brandon, as a student of the Word of God, you've often studied those things, memorized sections of the Word. I'm not telling you anything new. I mean, you wouldn't be here if you hadn't really known those things. I'm just reminding you of them. So you've been reminded, not just now, but reminded in the process, but uh, the great significance of being a pastor. So I'm calling on you once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you remember the importance and the dignity of your calling. You are to be a messenger, a watchman, a steward of the Lord. You are to teach. You are to warn. You are to feed and provide for the Lord's family. And you are to seek for Christ's lost sheep in the midst of this fallen world in order that they may find salvation in him forever. Always remember, therefore, how great a treasure is your responsibility in this church. These people are the sheep of Christ. Jesus bought them with his shed blood and his ultimate death. This church and the congregation you serve have been called to serve as his bride and his body. And if it should happen that any individual member of this body is hurt or hindered because of your intentional neglect, then certainly you know the significance of that fault. Scripture says that grievous judgment will be placed on the account of a teacher of the word of God who knowingly falls short. For this reason, do all that you can to bring all those committed to your charge to maturity, knowledge, and fullness in Christ. Be aware, however, that you cannot do this on your own. The will and the ability to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is given by God alone. Therefore, you ought and need to pray earnestly for the Holy Spirit. Consider how studiously you need to read and study the Holy Scripture, since God's Holy Gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe. And now that this congregation may understand your mind, heart, and will in all of these things, and that the congregation may be reminded, and I, I mentioned to this, as you listen to him, this is a serious 
calling. This is taking a mantle of leadership. So as you listen to this man make these statements, I pray that not only will you respect the calling, but that you yourself will be inspired and reminded of the seriousness of the task of ministry. So I'm going to call upon you to answer clearly these things, which we in the Evangelical Free Church of America and the name of God and of his church will ask you. So I'm going to ask you if you'd come stand up here next to me. And then if you would look out to the congregation. Do you believe in your heart that you are truly called, according to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, to serve this church congregation? Do you accept that title and the ministry expectations and responsibilities that come along with this calling? If so, say, yes, I believe God has led me to this calling, and I accept these responsibilities. Yes, I believe God has led me to this calling, and I accept these responsibilities. And do you believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors? Do you believe that the Bible is the verbally inspired word of God? Do you believe that it is without error in its original writings? Do you believe the Bible to be the complete revelation of his will for our salvation? Do you believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority by which every realm of human uh, knowledge should be judged? Do you agree that the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it, that it promises? If so, say, yes, I so believe. Yes, I so believe. And Pastor Brandon, will you be diligent to minister the doctrine, ordinances, and the disciplines that the Lord has commanded and that the church has received according to scripture. Will you personally keep and observe the same in your own life? If so, say, I will by the help of God. I will by the help of God. And will you do your best to pattern your life in accordance with the teachings of scripture so that you may be a wholesome example to your people? If so, say, I will the Lord being my helper. I will, the Lord being my helper. At this time, we are going to have what we call the imposition of hands. Throughout Scripture, there has been a time when certain servants of God, in a public way, are brought in front of a congregation, and leaders lay their hands on him as a way of affirming that we believe that this man is called for a special task, not only in Scripture, but also through the, uh, through the church history. So I'm going to ask... Those who have been asked to come forward and to pray will be coming up, and the elders as well that are present, that we can pray for Brandon. Lord God, we come before you, lifting up Brandon and Stonebridge Church. I just pray for, um, for his ministry, Lord, for our church as a whole. I pray that we continue to seek after you um, above all things. I thank you for answered prayer, that during this entire search process, Lord, we felt your presence. Mm. And we mm. are so thankful for, for how you've worked mightily here in our church and in Brandon's life and his family. I pray for 
beautiful friendships and relationships to be born out of this new ministry. I pray for his family as they settle into Cedar Rapids. And Lord, I just lift up all of this to you, knowing that, um, that your hand is upon us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do come before you with grateful hearts. We are grateful because your word says every good gift comes from above. It's a good gift that you brought Brandon and his family to us. We thank you for that. We thank you for guiding us and them every step of the way. And now, Lord, we pray that Brandon would lead us with integrity of heart and skillful hands that you would bless him with wisdom and insight, that you would help him to be a man of your word, knowing it, understanding it, applying it, able to teach it to others, that you would help Brandon to be a man of prayer, understanding that apart from you, he can do nothing. Mm -hmm. And Lord, we pray that through the power of your spirit, you would help Brandon to keep his eyes firmly fixed on Jesus and his mind on the things that are above. Father, as uh, Cal Swan explained, uh, being a lead pastor is a weighty responsibility. And uh, sometimes, uh, even though it's joyful, it can be heavy. You're responsible for the teaching of the church in all aspects. You're responsible for helping to lead with the elders and the staff, and you're responsible for caring for the flock as an under-shepherd, come alongside to help each person as they're walking with you. And Lord, uh, I just thank you at this time that uh, we know that you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think mm -hmm. in light of the largeness mm -hmm. of the task. Mm -hmm. And we thank you for your words to Joshua, which we pray over Brandon today. You said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Father, guide Brandon and guide our congregation as we follow you. We thank you that you are the chief shepherd. Almighty God, we stand here with Brandon recognizing that you have called him to this position. The congregation is called according to your will. And as Brandon has worked through this process, he has felt his heart moved to accept the call here. Lord, so we pray that you will bless this man and that your blessing will flow out of him. Lord, as, as leaders, we have our hands uh, laid upon his shoulders. Lord, we pray that Brandon will feel more than anything else your hand upon him that you have guided him here, and that you, your presence, you promised to be with him to the end of whatever his age would be, even to the end. Lord, that you would again continue to affirm your presence in his life, and he would sense that. Lord, as Brandon said to some of the charges, to some of the commitments he made, I will the Lord being my helper. Lord, we know that in some ways, the task would look well beyond any human ability, and it is. We are not that perfect vessel. But Lord, you are the one who are, is in us, and in Brandon, we pray that you will make him adequate for the tasks, inspire him from the biblical past, inspire him for your faithfulness throughout the centuries of church history, 
and give him heart and vision to be faithful through his life. We ask your blessing to deeply rest upon him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And now on behalf of the Evangelical Free Church of America and the Central District, our district here in the state of Iowa, we recognize Brandon Levering as the lead pastor of the Stonebridge Church. Thank you again. It is uh, an absolutely incredible privilege. Um, just a couple quick thoughts on that occasion. Uh, first, this church has devoted itself to prayer through this whole process, and my first request is that you don't stop praying, uh, either for me or for our church leaders or for this congregation. Uh, I just made a commitment that I can't keep. It is impossible to do what God is calling us to do in and of ourselves. Uh, but I'm comforted uh, by your prayers, and I'm comforted by 2 Corinthians and what Paul says about pastoral ministry at the beginning of that book. He says, who is sufficient for these things? And the implied answer, there's no one. Uh, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ and he continues, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And so just continue to pray for your pastors, to pray for me. Um, I'm going to need your grace because I will make mistakes. Uh, but but by God's grace, He's the one who equips us and calls us, and that's what I'm trusting in, and, and I want to trust that together with you as we follow Him. Uh, the second thing is just to remind us, to remind myself, to remind all of us, what, is, what are we ultimately after? Colossians 1:15. speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This passage is so enthusiastically centered on Jesus. He's the main point. It's what He's done. It's who He is. It's His supremacy. It's His sufficiency. That is our hope. That's... Uh, our basis, that is our joy, that's where we're going as a church, more and more of Jesus. And uh, that's what this is about, ultimately, keeping our eyes fixed on Him, helping each person we meet take their next step with Jesus, but taking our next step as well in recognizing, enjoying His supremacy, His sufficiency for all of life. So that's my prayer for all of us as a church, that we would seek Christ together. Thank you for trusting me 
and trusting your leaders and uh, trusting one another as we follow him. Thanks.